Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Here's our real ad. Oh my god. We have a real ad. Guys, listen, we're no longer like we're very <laughs> professional. I just want to say like thank oh you for god. your support. Thank you, Mom. April's thank using you, her I have too many fans voice. I just again. like I could do it for my fans <laughs> and like the fact that my fans have like been pushing for us to get ads. Like we do have ads. Oh we are god. very cool and I, just, I wanna <laughs> say thank you. Okay, great. Let's do it. Today's show was brought to you by BizBabes, a co-working space in downtown LA. BizBabes is an inspiring, feel-good space for inspiration, collaboration, and community. It's also Pinterest perfect for girls who gram. You can find their Instagram at B-I-Z-B-A-B-E-Z or their website at www.bizbabes.la. Rates start at $300 a month for three days a week. BizBabes is offering a discount to She's All Fat listeners, so mention us when you apply and you'll get half off your first month. Come hang out with us and get some work done at BizBabes. I do not want to tell you something and then you're like great and then you do something and then later they're like oh mom learned that thing that fucked me up on this podcast oh my god we don't have kids you guys we i don't, don't even have, have a pet i've never even had a pet i bought my first car April's last afraid year of my cats she's afraid of my cats i'm afraid of everything Sophie. I'm April, and this is She's All Fat, the podcast for body positivity, radical self love, and chill vibes only. This week, we'll discuss raising body positive children, dumb blonde jokes, and Marvin Gaye. Also, advice for a body posy nurse, the prison of fashion, and abundant bodies. April, mm-hmm. what are you obsessed with this week besides yourself? <laughs> <laughs> Fair, honestly. I'm a little bit self-absorbed. You should um, be. <laughs> this week, I am obsessed with Marvin Gaye's version of the national anthem from the 1983 NBA All-Star Game. Have you ever seen this? No. Um, why would I have seen this? Okay, you're going to see why. Yeah, I've seen that clip. For some reason, I've I've, never seen that before. You've never seen that. I've seen that a couple times, but it was floating around Twitter this week. I love it for a couple different reasons. Number one, it's the slowest version I've ever heard. Remixed, like the whole musical composition and arrangement is like his sexy R&B groove kind of style. The background is literally just the same few lines over and over so he could just take however long he wants with it it's so smart it's so hot um it's literally the sexiest thing i've ever seen in my <laughs> life i also appreciate it for the fact that right now there's a lot of uh discourse around the national anthem and the flag and like what it means you mean and, disrespecting the troops like the troops are the troops and like can i sit can i stand where's my knee is it two knees oh which knee God. 12 knees it's like all that but 12? i <laughs> how many knees is there a spider on the field <laughs> I just think, like, when you watch this long, sexy version of the National Anthem, it's, like, kind of a fuck you. It's kind of like, I'm going to do this my way. Like, I'm going to remix it and make it my sexy, and it's going to mean something totally different to 
his fans, Marvin Gaye fans, than it would to like whatever the general American public. And it, to me, whenever I watch this video, it's just a symbol of we're singing a song that has several verses about owning slaves. I'm going to remix it and make it sexy and make it something so beautiful for my people to enjoy and yeah. everyone else can kind of like fuck off. So whenever I see this video, I'm like, wow, this is like so beautiful. It makes me feel weirdly patriotic, Dang. but also kind of like a big middle finger. And again, the sexiest thing I've ever seen. So I watched this like four times this week. Really? It's just like, it's so beautiful. You guys link in the show notes, like please watch Marvin Gaye sing Dang. the national anthem. That's so crazy. I mean, I personally have very little connection to the national anthem itself. I don't really understand when people get so like, it's, I'm like, it's a song and it was written by a guy about like guns. I don't care. But, and and mean, again, yeah. slavery. And slave. I mean, but again, it's like what it represents. I don't think anyone's like, no, totally. like stands for the song. I mean, I think some people do, but Why? I mean, the same way people stand for the flag where I'm yeah. like, it's a flag and you're not supposed to wear it like a towel, which you're currently doing at your barbecue or whatever. <laughs> But I love going through YouTube compilations of cool celebs doing their version of it. Yeah. Like, have you seen the Whitney Houston one? Yeah. That's another favorite. That was a suggested one for like 13 mm. million views. Hell yeah. Like, dang. So beautiful. That's really cool to me because when people really put their own take on it is when you're like, yeah, you care and you want to make this your own thing and you're saying, this is who I am. Yeah. If you were walking by and heard that video, you'd be like, what's that sexy funk song? No, it would take several minutes. It's the national anthem. And it's just like, I just think it's so beautiful. It's just such a perfect reminder of like, we can take something that's meant to hold us down and spin it and make it so beautiful. This is what it looks like. I don't think I've ever seen a video of Marvin Gaye. I've only seen like the album picture, Mm, you know, like on Spotify or whatever. He is very sexy. Drooping with sex appeal. R.I.P. man, seriously. So I'm obsessed with Marvin Gaye singing the national anthem. What are you obsessed with? Something similarly important for my people. (laughs) The TV show Outlander. Mm. Just about like... (laughs) Oh, white culture. How rich you are. (laughs) I mean, uh, yeah. (laughs) Um, It's a TV show based on a series of novels by Diana Gabaldon, Arizona native Diana Gabaldon, wild witchy black haired Diana Gabaldon. (laughs) Love you, Diana. Gotta stand over here, you guys. I read all of her books when I was like in high school because they were recommended to me. She's from Arizona and I love historical fiction and magic stuff. So this is kind of like my perfect crossover genre. So if anyone doesn't know, it's about an English woman from the 1940s who accidentally time travels back to 18th century, 17th century, 18th century Scotland and ends up falling in love uh, with this guy named Jamie, even though she already has a husband and like meets her husband's ancestor and he ends up being like real fucked up. Anyways, this upcoming weekend, there's a big episode coming up. We're in the third season right now, I think. And the two leads have been separated for quite a while. Literally, Claire had to go back to 20th century England because of Culloden and the war and the English people, like killing all the Scottish people, etc. And they've been apart for 20 years and she just figured out how to get back. And they're about to like, just fuck. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very behind on the show, but I have seen the trailer of them just being like, tune in this Sunday. And it's like white skin on white skin. I mean, it's going to be great. Sam Hewen, who plays Jamie, is very handsome, extremely handsome. And the woman who plays Claire, she's also very beautiful. And they're great actors. They both can do like a beautiful one tear rolling down their cheek shot. <laughs> I appreciate them. Okay, let me ask you this, though, because I don't watch the show, but our friend Lindsay is always giving me like a play by play. Yeah. So she told me they're older in this current season. Yeah. How is the older makeup? Because that can really take me out of a story. So what they did, basically, I think they did it super smart. So the actors are both kind of 30-ish. And in the first, like when they first meet, so in season one, they're supposed to be early to mid-20s. And then in this season, they're supposed to be early 40s. So they just kind of cast people who are ageless beauty actors. Okay. So all they did is, like, in the first season, they did no makeup. Mm. And in this season, all they did was give Claire one white skunk stripe. Okay. (laughs) It's pretty much it. But they do just look like, could be anywhere between 20 and 45. Okay, cool. Good to know. Good to know. It's not bad. Jamie did have, like, a really terrible beard wig for a while, but it's gone. Thank God. (laughs) Anyways, yeah. Love Outlander. Truly not as important as your thing, but (laughs) whatever. (laughs) I mean, hey, this is cool, too. It is cool. I mean, it's not, I don't, I just don't have anything I'm obsessed with that I can say I'm proud about from my people yeah. right now, I would say. 
But yeah, watch this clip of Marvin Gaye and then you'll get all riled up and then go watch this episode of Outlander. Go get your star subscription. Oh my God. It's about to go down. It's so good. <laughs> so those are our obsessions this week. Let's move on to our review shout outs. You want to do the Apple Podcast one? Sure. Okay. So people who left us reviews on Apple Podcasts were listen to understand cat mom pod person, which is probably <laughs> Sophie. <laughs> Um, I would say dog and cat and tortoise mom, actually. So, like, don't be rude. Oh, my God. Rose White, Rose Red, and Mariah Oxley. Ooh, Rose White, Rose Red, another English history fan. Nerds. Also, let's shout out the people who became patrons recently. Kelly Goad, Nicole Barnes, Matumitha, and Carissa Enneking. Thank you guys so much. And just a reminder that we have a level on our Patreon right now that's called Team Paisley Moo Moo. It's $7 per month. And right now we have 14 patrons there. And when we hit 25 patrons on Team Paisley Moo Moo, then we will be starting a special Facebook group only for Team Paisley Moo Moo and up. And until we hit 25, you get some little extra rewards for good if you subscribe at that level. So head on over to Patreon and get some cool stuff. And finally, let's move on to our corrections. So last week, our episode went up missing a little audio clip, and literally we listened to four versions of it, and it just slipped through the cracks. Like and we you know all what? missed it. So you know what? We just like to take this opportunity to say, sorry if you got two episode sixes pushed to your phone. We hope you enjoyed being able to compare and contrast the six seconds of silence from the first version and the accurate voice clip from the second version. We're just celebrating our mistakes, and... You know, I hope it's relatable or whatever. <laughs> All right. Sorry that happened. Yeah. Also, we want to shout out our wonderful fans for gently being like, hey, guys, great episode. I know that you're doing your best. That said, like, what's going on? Yeah, everyone was so nice. Thank, Thank you, you so much for being understanding. Um, you know, it's just us doing this. And like, we love doing this. That's why we like push the Patreon all the time, because that's what is allowing us to spend time to do this. But we don't have the supplies and resources that anyone at like, a bigger company would have. So sometimes these things just fall through the crack and it's midnight on Wednesday. And like, you know, listen, you guys, there's always going to be another mountain and I'm always going to want to make it move. Like there's always going to be an uphill battle, but like sometimes I will have to lose. And that's a lesson that I've learned, like that it's about the climb podcast wise. So thank you guys so much. We love you. I'm so sorry. (laughs) We will make mistakes again, but just continue to let us know nicely and we will just appreciate it and uh, apologize like this. All right. We should really get to the meat of it, don't you think? Yep, let's do it. You've got mail. So you may have noticed that Bumper was a little different than normal. This week is a very special mailbag episode. So how these episodes are going to work is we're going to take a bunch of the emails and tweets and messages that we get with questions, read them here, and try our best to answer them here. We seriously love getting these messages. It means so much to us that we're helping to create a community for all of you to talk about the things that you think about that are also the things that we think about. We do want to give a little disclaimer before we start. We are in our mid-20s. We are babies. I literally (laughs) have a bottle in my mouth right now. We are not experts in anything except ourselves, our bodies, and our own experiences. And our goal is to really start these conversations and hope that you guys continue them. Let us know what you think. Let us know other resources we can share with everyone. So if we say something that is hurtful to you, if we say something you disagree with, if we say something you think is just plain wrong, like it's not even a matter of just opinions, like let us know. We're totally into owning that. We're just doing the best we can, as mentioned previously. And we want to open the floor to you as well as our listeners, because we're not trying to preach to you. We're just trying to figure this all out together. So welcome to our first Mailbag episode, we're going to do this the best we can. (laughs) One reason we have this section that is now turning into a whole episode is that I personally am obsessed with advice columns and the whole arc of an advice column, which is usually like, here's my life. I have this problem. And then the person responding is like, listen, I got it. And they tell them what to do. It's like a whole mini narrative arc in one thing. That's not what this is going to be like. We're not dear sugar. I'm not Cheryl Strayed. I'm not going to like say things that are going to be available on a mug. Unfortunately, (laughs) I wish I could, but, uh, yeah, we're just, you know, we're here with you. Let's do it together. 
For anonymity, we will be referring to everyone who wrote in as Hannah. Um, and a reminder, if you want advice, you can send a voice memo of yourself asking a question to FYI at she's all fat pod.com. You can record it on your computer or the voice memo app on your iPhone. Just keep it short, about one minute max. Or if you're shy, you can send us a plain old email at FYI at she's all fat pod.com and we might answer your question right here on the show. Oh, great. Okay, let's do it. So we have our first question from Hannah. Hi, April and Sophie. This is Hannah calling from Sunnyvale, California. I've been thinking about your discussion in episode four, which seemed like this celebration of the ways that fashion can be empowering for fat women and the ways that it brings fat women together. Followed by your discussion in episode five around hair and makeup, where I felt you were encouraging listeners to really be critical of how using those things to conform to patriarchal standards can kind of be bullshit. Personally, I'm a fat woman who doesn't care about fashion, and I actually find all the emphasis around fashion blogging and the body pause movement to be really off-putting, because it feels sometimes like my fellow fatties are saying to me, sorry, but you aren't really one of us if you're not interested in getting all dressed up and being super femme. So I'm really curious to hear your thoughts about the ways that fashion functions in the fat community, and if you agree that it can be alienating. Or maybe you totally disagree and you have some great feminist arguments for why I need to get over this and embrace fashion. I don't know. I'm honestly open to whatever, but I'd love to hear you talk about it a little bit. All right. Thank you so much for everything you're doing. Bye. Well, I think this is a great question. The first thing that comes to mind for me is, yeah, obviously, anything that makes you feel pushed into having to dress up or put makeup on or change into anything that's not comfortable or even things that are comfortable that you don't like is for sure pushing patriarchal norms. Fashion, in our opinion, is just if you like it, do it. If you don't, don't. It yeah. truly does not matter. I think you're feeling that you don't want to be forced to be super femme if you don't feel that way. Totally valid. And again, it's just about the choice for us as feminists. It's important that we have the options to like, okay, I want accessibility and the ability to dress up and be super cute if I want yeah. that. If I'm like, this is a waste of my time and I'm trying to leave, we should have that option too. Yeah, I think the reason that it, it can maybe feel that way in the plus size community is because there's a lot of excitement about anything that is available to kind of be more femme or feminine because so many of the options historically available to us, as I'm sure you know, are like either extremely pin up in a way that I hate. Mm -hmm. I know that's a lot of people's jam, but I really don't like it. Or just like very paisley shirred hems and just exciting to have more options or for things that feel more like me. And also as far as just theorizing why so much of the online plus size space is about fashion, I think it comes from just the idea that fat women are raised to believe that we're so not beautiful. So when there's this online space where you can be like, actually, I'm beautiful. Actually, I was able to find clothes that make me feel good. Actually, I feel, you know, pretty and I feel worthy today. Then that's kind of what those spaces come out as online. Uh, fashion is political, which I'm sure you agree with fashion choices are not just vanity or frou-frou yeah they're, they're not just silly they're also political choices but also there's plenty of other work to be done in body positivity that has nothing to do with fashion i think a lot of fat women feel like they really have to perform femininity in order to feel feminine at all but i can totally see how those of us who want to try to be more fashion forward navigating that can seem overwhelming and like it's taking up a lot of space Thank you so much for writing in, Hannah. We're going to do a whole episode about fashion and fashion choices as well. So if you have other thoughts about that, we would love to have you write back in, Hannah, or anyone else who wants to be included in that episode. We want to know what your thoughts are about fatness, fashion, and the body posse community. Our next letter is from Hannah. Hannah, thank you so much for writing in. Um, Hannah says, I love the show. Thanks so much for making it. Also, there was one YA novel with a realistic fat character that came to mind, Eleanor and Park by Rainbow Roll. It's beautiful and I can't recommend it enough. The author has also written a bit more about the perceived fatness of Eleanor. Okay, so this Hannah wrote us a little link about Eleanor and Park. Thank you for that tip, Hannah. We will link to the book Eleanor and Park in our show notes if you guys want to check it out. It's a personal YA favorite of mine as well. Great. Okay. Listener letter number three. Hannah, thank you for your letter. We're going to talk about it right now and give you a little bit of a loving but firm critique. All right. Hannah says, hi, ladies. I listened to your segment on Call Your Girlfriend, and I have to admit you left me disagreeing with your approach to being body positive. 
To me, body positivity is not about spending 15 minutes of a 30-minute podcast segment criticizing another woman, Oprah's body journey. Condemning other women for their mental and body journeys can never possibly be a body positive thing, no matter how rich, famous, and influential this woman might be. Rather, it's falling under a discourse where women are bringing each other down by judging their co-women on how they choose to look. And that's not body positive, and it really, really isn't feminist. Ladies, I see you, April, in that shirt. Winky face. Not even bad feminist. No matter how different another woman's body journey is from your perception of what a right or wrong body journey looks like, criticizing it is per definition not a body positive action. The same way it's not positive when Danish women ban Muslim women from wearing hijabs to free them from their suppression or shaming the French first lady for her promiscuously short dress. Women need to stop criticizing other women for how they should look, and especially if it's under a body positive banner. You made me laugh by ending your Oprah criticism segment by mentioning how much you love her. You sounded just like that on the outside, well-behaved girl with glasses from fifth grade who would say the most horrible things about our classmates and then finish up her shade session by expressing how she also really, really liked her shade victims. Just like my shady friend back then, it would suit you to at least be aware and stand by what you are saying. Being feminist, intelligent, well-educated, fat, and speaking under a body positive flag doesn't free you from that. The body positive discourse is so important, and I truly think your podcast is crucial in an Instagram-driven self-branding time like 2017. It's incredibly important to give young women role models of all sizes, shapes, and colors. I, however, believe changing the entire discourse by adding new perspectives and thought strategies does it better than singing the old women criticizing other women song. So I just, I'm really excited to talk about this question because I think it's a good time to make this very clear to our lovely listeners at home. And I'll speak for myself here. The version of feminism that I act out on a daily basis is not the version of feminism where we refuse to hold each other accountable for our actions because, quote, we don't want to be women pitting each other against ourselves because you don't want to be judging women or women fighting women. Um, that's not what I was attempting to do in our Call Your Girlfriend segment. What I was attempting to do is holding somebody with immense cultural power accountable for their actions. And that's something that I practice on a daily basis when it comes to myself and my actions and the actions of people around me. One of the things that I think feminism is about is if you see someone around you who is perpetuating the patriarchy, you should not choose to not say anything for fear of attacking another woman. I think it's absolutely your responsibility to call it out because even as women, we can make those systems more egregious and we have to stop each other from doing that if we're trying to dismantle those systems. So if literally the most influential woman in the country is a huge perpetuator of diet culture, it makes zero sense for me to not use the platform that Soph and I are working so hard to create to not critique her. It's our responsibility. I feel no shame about holding her accountable for her actions. Me talking about how much I love Oprah at the end is not a fallacy. I'm a black woman who works in media who grew up watching her every single day after school. She means the world to me, which is why I want her to be better because I know she can be better because she represents so much for me and because it would mean the world to me if she stopped making these systems that held me down and made me hate my body as a child and stopped them. Like she could change the direction of diet culture in a second. And so why wouldn't I say something? As a feminist, you should be looking at the men in your life and at the women with privilege around you and checking them as well. Otherwise, nothing's going to get better. The distinction between a critique and criticism, which is like criticism is like what your mom does to you. And critique is using uh, academic and intellectual rigor, as well as just the things that you've learned from the praxis, which means practice of feminism and other kinds of activism and thought processes to look at the people, things, and systems around you and talk about how to make them better and tear down the things in power that are keeping us down. So without an understanding of that difference, there's really no way to move forward. Truly. And so for our listeners at home, we're going to link to our Call Your Girlfriend segment. Let us know what you think. Sophie and I worked really hard on that segment. We really wanted to provide a thorough critique and look at Oprah and her behavior. I mean, as I said at the beginning, we're like totally willing to be wrong, but this specific willing to be wrong, I'm not willing to be wrong. It's exactly the thesis of our show. It's hard. The version of feminism we're acting out, which is hashtag real, actual, intersectional feminism. (laughs) It's a very little used hashtag. Um, Truly, like the real stuff. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's hard and it's uncomfortable. And sometimes it involves calling out people that you don't want to call out. And sometimes it involves being wrong publicly. Thanks, Hannah. 
Okay, um, our next question is from Hannah. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, April and Sophie. Mm. As a registered nurse on the path to becoming a nurse practitioner, my goal is to be able to provide compassionate and holistic care to my patients, meeting them where they're at. As fat women, what are some key points you would like me and other healthcare providers to know when providing care to fat clients? What would an ideal healthcare encounter look like for you? I love some of the advice you've already given, especially about being an ally to people with marginalized bodies. It would be awesome if you could devote an episode to being healthcare recipients and what you'd like to see change. Chill vibes, Hannah. Hannah, thank you so much for this letter. So glad to hear that someone who cares so much about getting it right is in the medical field. You sound like you're out there killing it. The question of what an ideal healthcare encounter looks like for you, I literally was like, I've never had one. You know, it's so, <laughs> so hard. Okay, I'll start with one. Yeah. One where I'm not immediately asked to lose 100 pounds as soon as I sit down. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Would be nice. I think, honestly, the scariest thing for me when I go to the doctor is I feel like I need to exaggerate all of my symptoms. Like, I need to be like, I'm bleeding everywhere. <laughs> Otherwise, you're just going to be like, well, if you lost 100 pounds, it would go away. Yeah. So I- Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I think just not disregarding their symptoms, take what they're saying seriously. The cure for every ailment is not lose 100 pounds. Please look at every symptom on an individual basis and see what you can do to help ease their pain. Also, please look into health at every size if you haven't already. And also, uh, one experience I did have that was really great was my gyno in LA. Tweet me or DM me if you want to know the name of a good gyno in LA. People with vaginas, I'm happy to give the name. She listens to what I say. And when I say something that she isn't familiar with or that she hasn't heard of, she responds by going, oh, I'm not familiar with that. Let me do some research. Thank you for letting me know. That's the first time I've ever had a doctor not say, are you sure that doesn't make sense to me? Or I don't think that's true. Literally, I've been told many times. That makes a huge difference just to feel believed and taken seriously. I have this illness or disease called hydrodenitis superativa. Don't Google it, hey, listeners. It's real gross. Ooh. It's like basically in your sweat glands, you get like cysts. And a lot of people don't know about it or don't know what it is. It's like an immune disorder. Also, sometimes comorbid, meaning like happens at the same time as PCOS. So it's also tied with insulin stuff. For me, mine like flares up a lot whenever I get sick. So whenever my immune system goes down, it's gotten a lot better since I've started treating my PCOS. So it's like obviously tied to that. Basically, they like don't know very much about it. But I've had it since I was 16. And every single doctor that I went to until I figured out what it was on my own, told me that I had them because I was fat and wasn't showering enough, which is patently untrue, was extremely damaging to me, allowed me to continue suffering this disease without help and with a lot of embarrassment. And it wasn't until I found body positivity, then found body positive Facebook groups, then found resources in them for people being like, hey, fatties, if you have this thing, it could be this. And I was like, oh my God, please don't pathologize fatness and say it's definitely from fatness because none of the things I have been told in my life are from fatness have actually been from fatness. None of them have been. I think you're just doing the right thing just by being interested in your patients and by being respectful of their experiences. And it really sounds like you're already doing that. I do want to ask that you, as someone who is aware of these issues, tries to make change within the medical community. I hope that you take what we say and turn it around to like your bosses and your coworkers and maybe even the schools that you went to and say, hey, how are we educating each other about these issues? How are we going to get better about these issues and work from the inside? Because as a patient, I have a lot less power than you as a doctor or a nurse. I'm sure you're on board with that from the tone of your question. The only other thing I can think of is that I read an experience a woman had in a doctor's office in a Facebook group, and I thought it was really key what she was able to do, and it would be great if she wouldn't have to do it, which was a couple times 
she was faced with problems because the doctor's office didn't have a big enough chair for her to sit down or like they had trouble drawing her blood. And the nurse who was working with her said, oh, you're too big for this or you're too fat for this. We don't have the right things. And she was like, actually, I think you mean that you as an office don't have the right tools to care for your patients. And I think that is much more accurate, number one, and number two, caring way to talk to your patients, not make them feel uncomfortable or wrong for their bodies in a place that's supposed to be taking care of their bodies. Don't treat their body like a problem. Yeah, Yeah. you have to think about ways you can accommodate and care for them. It's super important because a lot of times when you're in the doctor, you're like, oh, you can't fit this thing. I don't know where your vein is. And you're treated like it's a burden for you to be there. So it's important that you keep that in mind because I'm sure if you get a fat patient, they've already had a lifetime of experiencing that. Totally. So like, please be the difference in their healthcare experience. Yeah. Yeah, you probably will encounter people who are fat who, if you say something that seems silencing to them, they'll just clam up and not say anything because they're so used to years, like, not being believed by doctors. I mean, it really does, again, it sounds like you're very warm and open and caring. So just keep being you and being like, hey, I believe you. I don't know that I know everything, but I'm doing my best. And, like, I want to hear what you have to say. And there's nothing more you can do. And we are going to devote an episode to medical stuff. So look forward to that. Please stay tuned for that episode, Hannah, and thank you so much for writing in. Okay, this letter is from, is it Hannah? Hannah. I think it was (laughs) Hannah that she said. I think it was Hannah. Hannah says, I am a feminist first, Pilates instructor second. Last week, a client cried because she felt so awful about her, quote, fat body. I told her she needed to reframe her beautiful, phenomenal body and see it as, quote, abundant and deserving of love and also deserving of food. In fact, she needed to see eating as filling herself with goodness. Reading between the lines, you can see there are bigger issues at play. My question to you, though, is as fat women, how do you feel about me taking fat out of her self-descriptive vocabulary? How would you want to be spoken to in this situation? Thank you for your guidance. Hannah, um, Hannah, thank so you for first, this letter. First of all, Hannah, you know what? I want to commend you because clearly you sensed that there was something off in your response and you reached out to people who might be a little bit more knowledgeable with the open mindset. And so I appreciate that. Yeah, I think it's inappropriate for you to try to get her to see her fat body as abundant. For me personally, I just think a lot of those euphemisms are a little patronizing. She's fat. She is. It's not a problem for you to fix. You don't need to distract her from the truth. It's just a descriptor we talk about on the show all the time. It's just the word fat, just like short, just like tall. Yeah. I mean, I think that you're coming from the right place, which is I totally agree that her body is deserving of love and deserving of food and that food is good. And you should not think of food as the enemy. I totally agree with all of that. I think the key change that we would encourage you to make is to shift from thinking fat is a bad descriptor that she needs to pretend she's not to fat is fine. You're like, just neutral. Maybe one thing, I mean, we don't know a lot about this woman who was talking to you, but maybe one thing would be like, where is her upset coming from? Is it coming from um, feeling disconnected from her body? Maybe you could suggest some other Pilates exercises for her to do and encourage her to feel proud of the way she can move her body and be in her body. Maybe if it's coming from her just feeling the pressure of the outside world, you could say, listen, my Pilates studio is a place for you to come and just be you. And it's a safe place for you, you know? So it also depends on where she's coming from. Maybe she had a bad experience with someone who was rude to her. You can be like, that person was rude and they're not here and I'm here for you, whatever. I think um, an important part of the process of changing the idea of exercise in your mind to no longer a punishment, but a sort of act of empowerment is remind her what her body can do. When I started doing yoga, I was like, I'm curious about these shapes, but I'm fat and I just assume I can't do this. And I had instructors who were like, just try this, do a little bit of a modification. And I surprised myself all the time. So I think you're on the right track that her body is beautiful, but also encourage her to be like, I think your body is capable of a few things more than you think it would be. And let me help you on that journey instead of punishing yourself for this act of moving your body, which can be beautiful. Hannah, thank you for writing and let us know if that was helpful. And if you've had further conversations with this client, we hope that they go well. Um, Next letter is from Hannah. Hi, new friends. I am white and recognize the privilege that has offered me. I especially recognize this because I grew up really poor. When I went to college where no one knew my sad background, I started getting treated middle class. Thank you, naturally straight teeth. 
I got internships, then jobs, and now I'm in a good position economically. I realized that had my skin been different, I couldn't have passed as part of the dominant decision-making culture that was acting as a gatekeeper to my success. I get that doors were opened because of my skin color. It is true and so unfair to those that have the same door slammed in front of them. With that, I have blonde hair. You know, that color of hair for people that are insensitive and thoughtless. When I hear people make blonde jokes or categorize white blonde ladies as ignorant, basic, or whatever, I cringe. Why are we cool to generalize about appearances in some categories? Hair color doesn't define a personality trait. It's alienating and honestly sexist. Why still the ladies and their hair color? Hannah, thank you for that letter. Okay, so this is referring to, I think in one of our earlier episodes, when April and I were talking about how a lot of Instagram body positivity posts are by white, blonde, thin women. So Hannah is trying to critique us for singling out blonde hair. So Hannah, your first paragraph is spot on. I like that you recognize the privilege of your whiteness and of being able to be treated as middle class and getting internships and gatekeeping and all that. And even the little sidebar about straight teeth, which is definitely a class indicator or people take it as a class indicator and you can get treated differently for that. I think you're a little bit off on your analysis of the blonde hair opinion. There's definitely a trope in society. And I feel like this was more in the nineties, but definitely still today, especially in TV and film of the image of blonde hair being used on a woman, especially the image of a blonde haired woman being used as a easy way to note stupidity. That is misogynist, 100%. It's conflating femininity or beauty and stupidity, which we all know is not true, not real. However, the way that we were talking about blondness in that moment was as part of a series of traits that are collectively upheld by a white patriarchy as preferred and dominant. Google the Aryan race slash superiority, you know? We'll link to like, Aryan in the show. We're notes. not going to link to that. <laughs> but like, it's got to be something that you're willing to recognize as also a physical privilege that you have naturally blonde hair. It's a part of the package of whiteness, of straight teeth, of appearing to be upper class or middle class that is affording you privilege. So while there's definitely an aspect of women's appearance regarding beauty in general that I understand what you're talking about, that is not what we are talking about. And again, it's like, we got to be able to understand and appreciate the subtleties of feminist discourse. Blonde hair is definitely used to mean stupidity. It is also upheld as an, a beauty ideal, and it also is upheld as a white beauty ideal. So you got to recognize that. Absolutely. And specifically with our discussion of the body positive movement on Instagram, I wanted to bring up white blonde women because the body positive movement was created specifically for the most marginalized bodies among our society. But it scares me that when people learn about body positivity, they learn about it from the least marginalized within that group, which is thin, white, blonde women. So it was important for me to bring that up because the point of the political movement is being muddied by our push towards that same white blonde societal ideal that's present in every other arena of American culture. So I wanted to just point that out then because we're talking about marginalization. And if you have blonde hair, you will have a privilege. If you're thin, you will have a privilege. And if you're a white woman, you do have privilege. And so it's important to just acknowledge that. So we'd love to hear your thoughts and hear if that made sense to you. I'm definitely willing to talk more about it. This is another one of those topics where if you want to write in, I will be responding to you and not April because this is like a white person to white person kind of thing. It's not really April's responsibility to explain why white blondness would be a position of privilege, but it is my job as a fellow white woman to have that conversation with you. So message us, tweet us, and we'll keep having the convo. Thanks, Hannah. Hey, Sophia and April, this is Hannah. My question is about how to talk to your young children about body positivity and self-love when you struggle with it yourself. I am someone who has diagnosed anxiety, and I also have some body dysmorphia. And while I'm not technically fat, I struggle with things like self-love, and I'm not quite sure how to prevent that from passing on to my two young girls who are under the age of five. And I want to start instilling body positivity and self-love and standing strong against society's influence on how women should appear and what's acceptable. And I'm not 
quite sure how to approach that when I myself struggle and I'm so afraid of doing it wrong and messing up. So if you have any advice on how to talk to children, boys or girls, when they are young about body positivity and self-love and some habits that I can start instilling in them, I would love to hear about that. I love your new podcast. I think it is so overdue for this kind of podcast, and I can't wait to hear more. Thanks. Okay. Hannah, (laughs) thank you so much for your question, Hannah. Uh, Honestly, this question means so much to me. Sophie and I talk about all the time, like, how can we make our work helpful to women so that the next generation of children do not have to grow up under the same kind of pressure and stress and there's so many hurdles you have to jump through before you get to a place where you can stand yourself. Mm -hmm. And if kids don't have to go through that, it would be amazing. So thank you so much for being thoughtful in your parenting. You're going to make some great kids. This is also the question that prompted us to say that little disclaimer at the beginning, because I do not want to tell you something. And then you're like, great. And then you do something, and then later they're like, oh, mom, learned that thing that fucked me up on this podcast. Oh, my God. We don't have kids. You guys, <laughs> I don't even kids. have a pet. I've never even had a pet. I bought my first car April's last year. April's afraid of my cats. She's afraid of my cats. I'm afraid of everything. Um, that said, since we're young, we were recently children. Yeah. So we can talk about this from the perspective of us as daughters. Yeah. And I think a specific area that is really important to pay attention to is attaching morality to food. So, I mean, sometimes you'll even buy a container of, like, a Trader Joe's bag of chips, and it'll be, like, guilt-free, reduced guilt, low sin, not guilt, those types of things. I think it's really important to avoid phrases like, I'm going to eat this, I'm bad, I'm being bad today, this is my cheat day, just little things like that. Because kids, when they're young, think so much in black and white. They'll put food in the bad category if we start attaching morality to it young. This is another way we can apply this practice and just say like, oh, you cleaned your plate. Would you like more food? Are you still hungry? Instead of, wow, someone was hungry today. Mm -hmm. But I think the emphasis isn't don't eat 30 cookies. Cookies are bad. It's It's, neutral. It's neutral or it's girl, it's going to make your stomach hurt. Like I think introducing the idea early on of listen to how food makes your body feel will be so helpful as far as and the difference is how it makes me feel instead of what it makes me feel like I did, I think is the important distinction. Yeah. And honestly, I get that it's hard again with parenting, especially from my experience, It's easy to mimic the behaviors that you experience as a child on your next generation. But if you take the time to keep being thoughtful, like you obviously are from sending in this question, you're going to make a world of difference in your kids' lives. And so I continue to keep asking these questions, keep talking to other parents who have kids because we don't have kids. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the other aspect is how you treat yourself, which I'm sure you know that like your kids, especially your daughters are watching. So it's okay to be struggling with these things. We're all struggling with these things. I don't think you have to feel the pressure to be perfect about this stuff. I think it would be good if you could do some simple rules for yourself, like ban fat talk, meaning I'm so fat or I feel so fat, no matter what your size is, because that just correlates fatness with badness, basically. So maybe um, if you can just watch your own language, talking about your own body in front of your kids, again, you can have whatever feelings about yourself you have. We're not telling you like, you have to love yourself right now. So overall, our biggest tips are just keep being a good mom. <laughs> like, it sounds like you're doing great. Doing your best. Make sure to try to discuss health instead of size, discuss qualities instead of goodness or badness. <laughs> And like detaching, detach morality from the way you talk about food. Yeah. And morality from clothing and and body size too. Just descriptive stuff. Shout out to our moms. Love you moms. Love you moms. You did your best. (laughs) (laughs) You did good. You did good. It's hard. It's hard. Thanks, Hannah. All the resources we mentioned will be in our episode notes. To review, let us know if you have thoughts on the following future episodes. Plus Size Fashion, YI Novels, Guides to Advocating for Yourself as a Fat Person with Healthcare Professionals, and Raising Body Positive Children. Thanks again to our lovely listeners, Hannah, for writing in. So that's You've Got Mail for this week. We've solved all of Hannah's problems. And you know what? You live and you learn it. Nobody's perfect. You're You're welcome. welcome! Everybody makes mistakes.
Today's show is brought to you by Daisy LA. Daisy is an art apparel line with a mission to empower women. Danny, also the co-founder of Biz Babes, designs all the Daisy LA shirts herself. The Daisy LA online store also carries brands owned by other female-identified entrepreneurs. I carry my Daisy LA collab clutch literally every day in my purse. It's so cute. Danny reached out to us a while ago to collaborate on her Summer of Self-Love campaign, and she's committed to making her sustainably and locally sourced tees available for all sizes. Currently, her shirts are available in up to size XL. We wore some of the XL shirts and wrote about how they fit on us on our Instagram. Right now, if you go to her site at www.daisyla.com, you can enter code SAF at checkout for 20% off on all Daisy brand items. Look in the show notes for a link. If you're an advertiser and you want to work with us, contact us at FYI at she's all fat pod.com. Thank you. Now let's move on to It's Okay, You Can Ask, a segment where I ask Sophie to tell me more about the white experience, and she struggles to find the least problematic way to ask me about weave. We'll find out the answers to our burning questions like, who is Stevie J? Or what exactly happens at a Renaissance fair? Is this punishment for my white privilege? Absolutely. So I was wondering, why is there a stereotype that I have seen played out in my own life of black men liking fat white women? Oh no. The answer that is given is really problematic, but here's the answer that people say in the community. The stereotype is that all black men who are with white women hate their blackness and hate their black sisters. I think that's not true for everyone, but I have heard black men, especially to like me and other black women I know, will just upfront say, you know, I don't want to be with black women. Like I think, especially yes. we're, we're talking about that rapper Kodak Black, who is trash, um, who just got arrested. <laughs> Congrats. <laughs> He has gone on record several times saying, I don't like women who are the same skin color as me. I think black women are difficult. I want a light-skinned woman or a white woman. That's like a very pervasive idea. It's definitely a stereotype I've heard before. And it's one that makes me feel self-conscious because my boyfriend is a person of color. I know what's true in our relationship. I'm very curious about how our outward-facing identities fit into these larger stereotypes. Because I've also, as you know, I've told you, I've had, like, several black women be like, oh, interesting, like, your boyfriend is not white and he likes you as a white woman. Interesting. And I'm like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. I don't know what to say. It's really about the fact that so many black men have told us to our face that, like, they would never want to be with someone like us because we're Yeah, that's we're ugly. So I think, yeah, when you see a black man with a white woman, I mean, it's fat phobia also because it's like, he would even be with a white woman yeah, like that. Yeah. That's what it's that's tied what into. That's felt a few times. That's absolutely where it comes from. The stereotype or the discussion of it comes from a place of, like, and they scrape the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. Fat women. Like, that's yeah. where it comes from. But it really just stems from a place of hurt of, like, so many black men are so hurtful to us because of their own shit. And it just, it sucks to be the punching bag. It's not an excuse for saying that kind of thing to your face. No, I mean... But, yeah, I think that's where it comes from. (laughs) Not to be, like, poor me, but that was very uncomfortable for me because I was like, I agree, whiteness is bad. Like, I didn't know what to say. I don't know what you would do either. I don't know if you guys have seen Ava DuVernay's 13th, but... Yeah, we watched it. Like, a majority of black men of marrying age are in jail. And so we're literally out here so we're dealing with half of our men are in jail the other quarter are on the street telling us that we're ugly for having the same skin tone so it does not justify it but take that into consideration black men are either unavailable or calling us ugly and then we see one on the street with a white woman and if we see that she's fat and you're already fat phobic you use that against her and you're like you're with her (laughs) you know what i mean and it's not right but it just comes to a place of like hurt and like desperation there's like where are we You want a young black man who, you know, is educated in some way and like has a good career and has opportunities. Okay, there's like 12 of those because they're being shot on the street. They're being put in jail for having half an ounce of weed. There's none left. So it just comes from this place of frustration, of PTSD from being mistreated by the black men that we are raised with. And just like this longing to have the black love that our parents had that we're being robbed of because of the prison industrial complex. It's complicated, but it's it's not your fault. It's hard to remember to come in it with all that context. I just don't think white people are educated on this stuff yeah. <laughs> very well. Truly, a lot of black men 
are brainwashed into aspiring to whiteness because everybody knows if the closer you get to whiteness, the easier your life will be. Maybe that'll get me a little closer. Maybe I'll be treated a little bit better if I can get a little closer. Maybe my kids will be light skinned and maybe they'll have a better chance. Can I be honest with you? (laughs) Yeah. Every time I ask one of these questions, there's a part of me that hopes that it's going to be like, that's not a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I hope every time you're going to be like, no, everything's fine. No, girl. It's complicated. (laughs) We're out here in the discourse, okay? Every time I'm like, maybe this one won't come back to whiteness being bad. But like it does every time. Well, not the weave one. Yeah. Wait <laughs> in the water. Stop. <laughs> and that's our show. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to the stuff we mentioned today. And don't forget to send us your questions via email or voice recording to fyi at she'sallfatpod.com. Please make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Super important in making sure people find the show. If you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, we'll give you a shout out on the pod next week. She's All Fat is created, produced, and hosted by us, Sophie Carter-Kahn and April K. Quio. We are an independent production. If you'd like to support the work we do, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash she's all fat pod. When you pledge to be a supporter, you'll get all sorts of goodies and extra content. This week, we're posting more information, resources, and readings about every single one of the questions we answered today, just for our Patreon supporters and all of the Hannahs out there. Our music was composed and produced by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. Our website was designed by Jesse Fish, and our logo is by Britt Scott. This episode was mixed and edited by Victor D. Jackson. Our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter handles are at Pod. Bye! April. Yes? What? <laughs> what did you say my name like I was in trouble? It's just, what? April. <laughs> what are you doing? Oh, Why don't you look at me? You didn't look at me. Oh, yeah. it's just okay. Um, I'll April. look at you. <laughs> April. Victor, I'm so sorry. Do you see that Sophie's the one that's bad and that I'm the one that's good? I'm just trying to have fun. It's 10 26 p.m. Okay, okay. Just ask me like okay. normal. April. <laughs> Stop. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.